Amen. Good morning, everyone. It is wonderful to see you uh, here for worship this morning at WPC as we begin a new program year on Rally Day. This month, I'm preaching through the book of James in a sermon series entitled A Working Faith as we explore how our faith in Christ impacts every area of our lives. Last week sort of served as an introduction to James and his letter, exploring what it means to be a Christian, to live out their faith as those who both hear and do God's word. Working, doing, acting, these to James are the essential verbs to the Christian life. Our reading last week ended with a discussion on pure religion, which to James is to care for the marginalized and those in need, and to remain also unstained by our world. Our text from James this week picks up right where we left off last week, where he further elaborates on what this pure religion looks like, living into the royal law of love, not showing favoritism, and working out our faith and acts of love to our neighbors in need. I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the second chapter of James, beginning with the first verse. My brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly... And if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please, while to the one who is poor you say, stand there or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, Has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that that was invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable to all of it. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what good is what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I by my works will show you my faith. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. 
As some of you know, I am a lifelong Presbyterian. I was raised in the First Presbyterian Church of Lansing, Michigan, which is a downtown church quite literally across the street from the state capitol. And no, uh, Detroit is not the capital of Michigan. Lansing is, from, if we've forgotten from our, our uh, grade school pop quizzes on state capitals. Being in a downtown church in a city, we certainly had our hands full when it came to caring for those in need in our community, particularly with the growing problem of homelessness. I recall as a child one Sunday morning when a person suffering from homelessness loudly came into worship during the prayers of the people. The congregation gasped and grumbled. The whispers and concerned looks filled the silence. The pastor stopped the prayers to speak with the gentleman, hear his prayers and his needs, and invited him to join them for worship, and they could continue their conversation following. This little encounter taught me a lot in my childhood, from how the pastor ministered to a person who was clearly in need, to how prone we all can be to grumbling, to discriminating, to doing what James says here in his text of becoming judges of others. In our reading this morning, James is concerned with the church's use of favoritism, or to put it another way, discrimination, treating one group of people better than another. The Greek word that is used here is prosopolempsia, and it quite literally means to take face, to take face of one and not another. It's a rare word. It's only used four times in the entire New Testament. And here, James uses it in the plural, asking, do your acts of favoritism, with your acts of favoritism, do you really believe in Jesus? Doing this means that James isn't addressing a one-off occurrence. This is something he's seen happen regularly. Unlike many of the epistles in the New Testament, James isn't writing to one particular community or church, but rather to the greater church. And he's become concerned that favoritism for the rich over the poor is putting the church's identity in jeopardy. He says when rich folks come into your doors, they are given the seats of honor, while poor folks are pushed away, pushed to the side. To be clear, note that James doesn't say there's anything wrong with being rich. Rather, what he's concerned about is the practice of treating the wealthy with favor over the poor. And there are a couple of good reasons for this. First, James is likely addressing a church of mostly poor folks. He reminds them of the oppression that they've experienced on behalf of the wealthy, of the high in society dragging them into court, shaming them of their identity as followers of Christ. But more importantly, the concern here is that favoritism or discrimination has absolutely no place in the church. As I shared last week, James has sort of been written off in the Protestant church, and it's a shame, because James here has some of the strongest language against favoritism and discrimination in the entire Bible. Why is this? Why is he so concerned? Favoritism or discrimination negates our common identity in Christ. The identity that we receive through the waters of baptism. There are no classes in Christ. 
And friends, these are words that the church has truly needed to hear over the generations. And to be honest, we still need to hear them today. James really here wants to convey that the church is not a social club where we can pick and choose who or what kind of people can be in our community. Rather, this is a community that is brought together not by our shared interest, but by our common identity in Christ. The discussion then seemingly takes an abrupt turn to talk about what James is probably best known for. The idea that faith without works is dead, that it's lifeless, that it's without energy or spirit or drive. He says, what good is it to wish a brother or sister well who is in need, but do not address their actual need for food or clothing or shelter? I personally like the way the Common English Bible translation puts it here with this verse. Faith is dead when it doesn't result in faithful activity. As I shared earlier, James has sort of been written off in the Protestant church. And the reason, by and large, is because his words seem to be at odds with Paul's, particularly Paul's insistence on salvation by grace alone. That there's nothing we can do to earn God's love and favor. That this has already been done for us in Christ. Then we get James in our lesson this morning say, faith without works is dead. For too long, the church has envisioned James and Paul in a sort of bitter theological argument over salvation. But this really isn't the case. In our reading last week, James even says that God saves the church by giving birth to it through the word. And in our reading today, uh, in between the, the verses that we skipped over from the lectionary, James says that mercy triumphs over judgment. Which, in essence, are two different ways of describing salvation by grace alone. Paul and James had very different concerns when writing, and they were addressing very different groups. Paul is concerned largely with the starting point of faith, while James is addressing the ongoing life and spiritual walk of the believer. To put it in theological terms, Paul is more concerned with the doctrine of justification, of being made right or just with God. While James, on the other hand, is more concerned with the doctrine of sanctification, of growing and maturing in the faith. Paul illustrates the truth of baptism, of one being claimed and cleansed as a child of God by grace alone through faith. James, on the other hand, represents communion, how one grows more and more into Christ's likeness throughout their life and how they are fed and strengthened by him. I think famed preacher Ernest Campbell says it best when he uses a medical analogy to describe this, saying that Paul is dealing with obstetrics, how new life is brought into the world. While on the other hand, James is focused on pediatrics to geriatrics. He's concerned with how Christian life grows and matures and ages well. When we dig in, we see these different emphases. When Paul and James talk about works, they're really talking about different things. 
Paul is largely concerned with works of religious law, works that are done to earn God's acceptance and favor. Things that we read from the Old Testament, like dietary laws, purification rituals, and circumcision. Paul is saying that these things do not save you. Doing these things cannot save you. Only God's grace can save you. But works for James are all about actions that are done to show love, to show Christ's love to a neighbor, particularly a neighbor who is in need. For James, genuine faith is lived out in such actions. It's not that these actions or works are what save us, but rather they are the fruit of our faith. They're done out of gratitude for God's love and grace for us in Christ. Here's the way I see it, if this helps. Both James and Paul teach us that our faith is a gift. But the so what moment of this truth is different. For Paul, faith is a gift from God that we cannot claim to have earned. For James, faith is a gift from God that cannot be wasted or kept to oneself. In other words, James asks, what good is the gift of faith if we are not sharing it and extending Christ's love with our neighbors who are in need? As our faith takes the form of clothing and feeding our neighbors in need, James says we live into this royal love of, or this royal law of Christ, of loving our neighbors as ourselves. Not showing favoritism, working out our faith. These are all about living into this royal law of Christ. In essence, James implores believers to make our faith, our faithfulness, visible. To make our faith visible to others. We tend to think of faith as a personal thing, and there certainly is a personal aspect of faith. But James teaches us that this faith is never meant to just keep for ourselves. The gift of faith has been given so generously by God, but not so we can enjoy it for ourselves, so that it can be shared. We are given this faith so that this can be lived out, sharing the love of Christ with our neighbors, particularly those in need, that we might become beacons of God's mercy and love for this world. In this way, we participate in the kingdom of God taking shape and transforming the brokenness of the world around us. Friends, the question James presents to us as we begin a new program year is this. How will we live out our faith together? May we seek to live out our faith together, make our faith visible, by loving our neighbors, actively caring for those in need. May our faith take the form of feeding and clothing our neighbors, May our faith take the form of speaking out against discrimination and hatred while promoting unity in this broken and divided world. And finally, may our faith take the form of proclaiming the hope that is the gospel, that Christ is alive and at work, transforming our world, bringing forth the kingdom of God. As we do this, friends, may we trust that the grace and love of Christ is present and strengthens us on this journey. All glory and honor be to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.